of Worship, your source for commentary and discussion on worship, theology, and culture. I'm your host, Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Hello and welcome to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. And I am glad you have chosen to join me today uh, to discuss matters related to worship, theology, and culture. And today I am continuing in a six-part series called The Full Council, Benefit of Liturgy from a Free Perspective. And so uh, I have already gone over three of those benefits. And by the way, there probably are more than the six that I'm going to lay out for you during the course of this series. But um, I'm laying out what I think are the most important benefits. And uh, the first week, I laid out the benefit of living in the story of God through liturgy. And the second week, de- uh, the declaration of the full counsel of God through liturgy. And then last week, I talked about intentionality in worship. Um, I think liturgy provides a way for people to be more intentional about the, how they worship. And then uh, to, today, we are going to talk about. Um, the benefit of a greater connection to the church universal. And so that is the fourth benefit that I am going to talk about in this, uh, this series. Uh, the Nicene Creed, there, there are three main primary creeds. It would be beneficial for you to look these up. The Nicene Creed, the Apostles' Creed, and the Athanasian Creed. And in many ways, they are similar I would say that the Nicene and the Apostles' Creed are more similar to each other than the Athanasian Creed would be to one of those two. Uh, But they are all very similar. I think the Athanasian Creed has an advantage in its explanation of the Trinity. Um, The other two creeds uh, don't really get into an explanation of the Trinity in detail, but the Athanasian Creed does. Um, So the Nicene Creed emphasizes a belief in one holy Catholic and apostolic church. And often Protestants seem to grow uncomfortable or even disassociate with such a statement, likely because of misunderstanding of its meaning. Catholic, in the context of the Nicene Creed, simply means universal. Apostolic means originating with the apostles of Christ. And with this understanding, I think all Christians should agree that we are part of one holy Catholic and apostolic church. Uh, Protestants and evangelicals may boldly declare in truth that they are a part of one holy Catholic and apostolic church, and I think they should. I'm not saying you need to use a creed in your worship services, Um but if you think of the creeds as sort of a Cliff's Notes version of the Bible, it gives you a broad perspective of what we believe. Christians are a part of a body before they are individuals. And so God's people throughout the ages are linked together as a part of a single organism. Uh, liturgy not only exhibits unity among the people of God, but it also affords God's people to experience a greater connection to this church universal, to the Catholic church, if you will. And through liturgy, Christians share with global saints throughout time. They share with Christ himself, 
and they exhibit the unity in Christ. Though from every nation, Christians comprise one body dispersed throughout the world and display unity through their use of the same resource and tool, namely liturgy. So, a greater connection to the church universal is at play here with liturgy. So I want to go through three aspects that I just mentioned. Number one, liturgy shares with, a, with global saints throughout time. This is one way that the church has a greater connection to the church universal. The bride of Christ is a universal body comprised of every tribe, nation, tongue, color, race, language, and time. Historic liturgies have been utilized by the church for centuries and thus connect the people of God irrespective of external boundaries and differences. And when local churches today employ historic liturgy in their worship contexts, they share in the same practices the saints throughout the centuries have also employed. And so there is a connection there. By linking God's people through liturgy, the worship of a timeless and boundless God transcends time itself, geographical location, and language and race. God is timeless, and he has never been bound by time. And and time, in fact, is his creation for the bounds of humans, not for himself. And so... His church is to is is also timeless, unless the people of God forget that the church includes saints from all generations and eras. Christians today are a part of the same body in which the apostles subsist. Think about that for a minute. You are a part of the same group that the twelve apostles that that they're a part of. And that's a, that's a privilege, that's an honor, and we did nothing to deserve that. Prominent saints in the Christian faith might not often be considered in the same way as, or the same group as um, God's people, but the most seemingly insignificant child of God in small town USA is a part of the same body as Martin Luther, Charles Spurgeon, and John Calvin. Additionally, for those who utilize historic liturgy, the same practices are employed that have been used by many of these significant saints of the past. And the church today is connected to the church tomorrow because both are part of the same body. So we are a part of the same body as churches of the past, the present, and the future. And liturgy employs practices that have been executed for centuries and will continue to be used until the return of Christ. So liturgy aids in a noteworthy connection between saints throughout the ages. Through liturgy, the Church of God transcends geographical location as well. Records of historic liturgies have been found throughout the globe. The Christian nation, if you will, that's what I prefer to say, the Christian nation is comprised of many geographical nations. In fact, God's heart is for the nations. And talking about geographical nations, that's Psalm 46.10. Be still and know that I am God and I will be exalted among the nations. So believers called to missions is a reflection of the heart of God. Because Christ's bride, the people for whom he died, includes people of every nation. S.J. Stone composed the following words, which I think speak 
to who the bride of Christ is. And you may have heard this hymn. It's one of my favorites. Elect from every nation, yet one through all the earth, her charter of salvation, one Lord, one faith, one birth, one holy name she blesses, partakes one holy food, and to one hope she presses with every grace endued. The oneness of the church in Christ is marvelously and mystically exhibited when God's people use liturgy, because while the people of God worship in one geographical location, his people also also worship him in another location with the use of the same tool. The church of God also transcends language and race, which is revealed in the use of liturgy. When Christians gather as one global body for the weekly worship of one God, a mystical unity occurs which cannot be explained by human logic or divided by human boundaries. And the connecting tool is also often found in the order and elements utilized by those who worship God. In other words, the liturgy. The same historic liturgies that have been used by the saints of the past and will be used by the saints of the future are often used by Christians around the globe, irrespective of external factors. So the same medium of spiritual formation that existed in the early church continues to exist for the people of God presently because liturgy shapes and connects the people of God. Through liturgy, Christians around the world are shaped by God himself. While no Christian spiritual formation is the same, liturgy being an instrument of formation in God's people is the same. And while liturgy may be adapted contextually, the message it presents is the same message that rings true throughout the ages. God's people, therefore, are shaped and connected through liturgy. Even in a free tradition, liturgy grants believers the profit of being connected to a larger body, namely the body of Christ, transcending time and external factors. So God's people are comprised of all combinations of age, race, and time, and geographic location. They share with one another in a marvelous and mystical unity by their use of liturgy. And so what liturgy does then in this situation that I'm talking about, and what I'm talking about here are the benefits of liturgy, liturgy allows God's people to share with with global saints throughout time. The second point here, liturgy shares with Christ. Liturgy possesses the inherent benefit of sharing with Christ, or said another way, since liturgy is centered around the person and work of Christ, believers through the liturgical tool share in the story, the glory, and the work of Christ. Scripture instructs God's people to share in the sufferings of Christ, 1 Peter 4.13. But sharing in all aspects of Christ should be an outcome of Christianity as well. So through liturgy, God's people share in a succinct and clear way. The God, with God, uh, his son, and his work. So liturgy allows God's people to share in the work of Christ because it declares what Christ has done and what he is doing. And through liturgy, Christians first share in Christ's story. Worship is designed to tell the story of God and his work, which is focused through the work of Jesus. 
Scripture is centered around Jesus. Liturgy is centered around Jesus. Therefore, when local churches employ historic liturgy, God's people share in Christ's story by learning it, declaring it, and living in the reality of it. Christ's story in Scripture is complete. His work in the lives of his people, however, is not complete. He is still working today. And the church today holds the matchless privilege of sharing in Christ's story by participating in what he does and declaring what he has done through the ages through liturgical context. And in a pointed way, liturgy, the story of Jesus, through liturgy, the story of Jesus is told and retold. It is recounted among believers of all ages and demographic loca- geographic locations. Different people... We may be, all Christians, the story of Jesus rings clearly across the hearts and lips of all people when liturgy is utilized. So liturgy allows Christians to share in Christ's story, but liturgy also grants God's people the opportunity to share in the glory of Christ. Paul contends that by sharing in the suffering of Christ, his people will also share in his glory, Romans eight seventeen. Liturgy does not possess any special power, but declares the gospel message and the glory of Christ alone. And by utilizing liturgy, believers who are promised to share in the glory of Christ receive a foretaste of such glory by what is boldly declared. Liturgy, tested and tried, centers around the truth of Scripture and the glory of God through Jesus Christ. So, liturgy affords an occasion for the church to declare not only the glory of Christ, Uh, the glory that Christ is worthy to receive, but the glory with which the bride of Christ will also share. Liturgy also uh, allows believers to share in the work of Christ. And the church's supreme work is the work of Christ, which gives glory to God. And extending from this work are are the nuanced tasks given to local churches and individual believers. Liturgy declares the work of Christ in an overarching sense. Churches and individuals, however, hold a place within Christ's overarching work so that he is glorified. So through liturgy, the work of Christ is declared not only through his work in the text of Scripture, but through the sincere prayers of crafted, uh, crafted by the saints throughout the ages. And through liturgy... God's people join in declaring the work of Christ, past, present, and future, and share in that work with their Lord. Certainly, local churches can receive these benefits without historical liturgy. uh, liturgy. But I contend that historic liturgy, led by the Holy Spirit and proven by Scripture and saints of the past, is the most precise and intentional method of receiving the full benefits mentioned here. And it shouldn't be an argument that for such discussed benefits that I've talked about, that for these to be received, focused intentionality is necessary. Liturgy simply removes the vetting process since that has already been accomplished. And so free traditions may certainly benefit from it. My last imperative, last point I want to get to here when I'm talking about the benefits of liturgy and how it connects people to the church university, uh, universal liturgy exhibits unity in the church and through the shared orders employed by Christians around the globe and throughout the centuries. Liturgy exhibits unity in the church like few resources can while one local church 
utilizes planned and heartfelt scriptures and prayers relevant to the story of God throughout human time, countless churches around the globe employ the same elements in their worship practice. It is as if God's people join in one mission, one cry, one prayer for one God through the elements offered in worship. Tertullian, a second century Catholic priest, second century priest and minister in the African area, um, he suggests that the unity of the church of God is a perpetual fact. Our task is not to create it, but to exhibit it. A predominant way the church has exhibited unity for centuries is through liturgy. Through liturgy, the church has exhibited for centuries and continues to exhibit unity in purpose, in belief, and in practice. Liturgy exhibits unity in purpose in that its aim is directed toward the glory of God through the proclamation of his story. And to ask a hundred different people what the purpose of the, of the Christian life is, uh, would be to expect a hundred different answers. You're probably going to get that if you ask a hundred different people. What's the purpose of life? Why do you exist? You get a hundred different answers. Jesus himself, however, said that the greatest commandment is to love God with all the heart, soul, mind, and strength in Luke 10, 27. And this commandment is even greater than the Great Commission in Matthew 28, 19, and 20 which many believers would attest as the purpose of the church. But the purpose of the church revolves around God and his glory. In other words, all other purposes and tasks are derived from the underpinning purpose of God's glory. Liturgy is designed for the purpose of worship, the goal and indeed the purpose of the Christian life. And too many churches have given worship an evangelistic nature an evangelistic purpose to reach those who don't know Christ. That's where we get seeker-sensitive worship services from. And while worship certainly is evangelistic in nature, since it declares the gospel, a lost person has no capacity to worship or pray to God. Okay, think about that. Does God hear the prayers of the lost? No, not that he doesn't audibly hear it, but it is not filtered and mediated through the righteousness of Christ. Worship is for Christians and no one else. A worship service then should be crafted to worship God without regard to anything else. Liturgy accomplishes this said goal by eliminating distractions. In other words, anything that replaces the focus of worshiping God. So through liturgy, the church's unity is exposed in her purpose. Liturgy also exhibits unity in belief. Liturgy expresses the core tenets of the Christian faith and orthodox beliefs, which have been present in her life for centuries. Many liturgical traditions even utilize historic creeds. For example, the Apostles' Creed, the Nicene Creed that I've already mentioned, and the Athanasian Creed. And they use these to state what they believe. Such creeds stem from the truth of Scripture, around which the historic liturgies are designed. And so to employ liturgy is to reveal the orthodox beliefs of Christianity. By using liturgy, churches exhibit unity, and since they express beliefs that are shared and confessed in the same manner, so as they're confessing and declaring the same thing, we see, litur we see unity through liturgy in the church. Liturgy, lastly, exhibits unity in practice. 
As Christians resort to liturgy, their worship gatherings take the same focus and themes as countless worship gatherings around the world. On any given Sunday, many churches utilize the same scriptures, the same themes, and the same prayers as other believers around the world so that the expression of worship and prayer offered join as one, unity among the people of God. The mystical unity of the church is certainly exhibited in a tangible and even corporeal way through the employment of liturgy. And while free traditions may desire to separate themselves from liturgy because of its connection to Catholicism or insincere practice, my argument has thus far been that liturgy is certainly not insincere. Furthermore, My contention is that liturgy is not linked solely to Catholicism because even uh, Protestant believers throughout the centuries, many of whom opposed Catholicism during the Reformation and from whom current Protestant practices originated, many of these people have used liturgy in their worship gatherings. Free traditions have an invaluable resource at their disposal in liturgy. Vetted by the church in the many centuries prior, Liturgy provides a marvelous tool for the church to visibly exhibit unity. Believers should consider themselves as part of a single body, namely the body of Christ, more than individuals. So Christ loves and has a personal relationship with individual Christians, but believers are a part of the bite of Christ first and foremost. And so a proper understanding of the oneness of the church should impact the way God's people worship. Because their state of mind will primarily reveal a plurality rather than an individuality. Liturgy allows for this concept to be exhibited in a real and a tangible manner. And even if if liturgy is modified contextually, liturgical practices reveal an unbreakable unity in the church. It would be firmly advantageous for free traditions to understand such a benefit that comes from the use of liturgy. The unity that is exhibited in the body of Christ through through liturgy. Liturgy does not hinder Christian worship, but rather it frees it and it clarifies it. Through liturgy, the church succinctly declares the story of God and does so in a unified way as believers around the world declare the same story. The church is one body, one holy and apostolic body. Christians then should understand even their individual identity as a part of the whole more than an individual. The Apostle Paul discusses the makeup of the church in his letter to the Ephesians, in Ephesians 4. A church who understands her role in the body of Christ understands the importance of worship that unveils unity in the body. Liturgy allows for this unveiling. And through liturgy, God's people experience a greater connection to the church universal uh, universal by sharing with saints throughout time, sharing with Christ and exhibiting her unity. And the church's identity is in Christ. Liturgy reveals not separation between various churches, but a mystical unity of the church universal, uh, universal. Free churches would not be negatively impacted by liturgy, but positively impacted. A church that uses liturgy likely understands her identity and also reinforces it since the gospel and the story of God is continuously repeated and declared among the people of God. And in this this manner, in this way, liturgy is exceedingly beneficial to the people of God in every tradition 
including free traditions. We have a great connection to the people of God, to the global church of God, to the church of God throughout the ages. We have a great opportunity through liturgy to reveal the unity in Christ in the church. So my hope and prayer is that you are starting to see the benefits of liturgy through this series. Again, and I've said this before, it is not right or wrong to use or not use a liturgy. But I would encourage you to be intentional about what you do. Why are you doing this? Why are you saying this? Do you just walk up on a Sunday morning if you have to pray or give announcements and just say the first thing that comes out of your mouth, whatever it may be? Or is there a purpose to it? Liturgy clarifies that purpose, and it gives us a greater connection to the people of God around the world since we employ the same tool and the same resource. So my hope and prayer is that this has been beneficial to you. Thank you for listening today to the Act of Worship podcast. This is Dr. Jonathan Michael Jones. Did it, did it.